Welcome to Open Book. I'm your host, Nina Serrano, on Lucky Friday the 13th of our beloved KPFA's 58th anniversary. I've been programming at KPFA on and off since 1961, when some of my literature programs were added to the Pacifica Archives. It's been a long and worthwhile journey. Today we honor Poetry Month with our in-guest studio guests, writer-editor Kim Shuck and writer-publisher Reggie Lockett. Uh, we're celebrating the publication of Penn Oakland's Oakland Out Loud Literary Anthology. And later in the program, I'll talk by phone with author Kim McMillan, who also participated in this publication. So we have here in the studio both Kim and Reggie, and I'm going to start with Kim. Welcome, Kim. Kim is a writer and weaver. She says she's attended way too much school, one product of which is an MFA, and her poetry has been published nationally and internationally. These publications include Shenandoah, Drum Voices Review, and then a weekend journal. Kim won a Mary Tall Mountain Award in 2004 for her combination of poetic commitment and community work. In late summer of 2005, she made a trip with poets to Jordan in the interests of peace and communication. Her first full-length book of poetry, Smuggling Cherokee, won the 2005 First Book Award from the Native Writers Circle of the Americas and was published in December of 2005 by Greenfield Review Press. She's the co-curator for the Native American Cultural Center's Spoken Word Series in San Francisco. And Kim is live here in our studios. Welcome to Cover to Cover, Kim. Thank you so much, Nina. I'm glad to be here. The publication of Penn Oakland's Oakland Out Loud Literary Anthology is very exciting, especially for us here in Northern California. Since you were one of the editors as well as a writer, can you tell us the story of how the book came to be? Um, parts of it I'm not aware of, but I will tell you that the um, the effort to both edit and uh, collect materials for this book was spread over a number of people. So it's it's funny to me um, at this point in the process to think of myself as uh, as even uh, a co-editor. Carlo Brundage and I are going to be listed that way on the book, but a number of people were involved. Uh, Kim McMillan. Clara Talda, some others. So, it's it's always a process, books, and uh, this one more than than otherwise, I think. So, well, what specific process did you work on? I uh, organized the the pieces. I did one version of the the order of poems within the book, mm-hmm. and um, some poem selection because many of the authors sent us more than one poem. So, it's mm-hmm. a little. It's a bit like curating. The reading yes. series, basically curatorial. Uh-huh. Well, have you brought any poems that you could read for us? Uh, maybe one from the book? Yes, I have uh, my piece from the book. It's called B-flat. Mystery of resonance, this fugitive tone. It hums deep below middle C, distorting gravity and ringing light. The hair you grew or cut choice of the symbol that is clothing, personal response to the tone, blazed trail for those of us here, exposed wood moist at first, rusted eventually, harder to follow now, 
Notebooks, carefully shaped glyphs betray your drive to be understood, joy in the curves, but tension there too in that vibration. Step out onto the dance arena with me, out onto this battlefield, this history lesson, the way we cling to the objects, with you gone ahead, a belief in contact magic, relics, a belief that objects witness. What will you carry into the dance prayer lesson song? What would you carry now, stitched tight into your symbolic shirt? Oh, thank you. Thank you. That was Kim Shuck reading from one of her poems. Do you think you could share some others? Yes, thank you. Um, this one's called Waking Up Again at Home. It's the key worn thin by your own thumb, the spot on the countertop, the squeak in the couch. It's the tree you know, what wind made it lean like that. Remember the storm that broke the branch? It used to trail the ground in just that way, drawing you in as if to protect. It's the soft spots in the garden. It's the way you can't take a full breath on the days you bother to try. It's the friction of the flaws you know, the water you know. It's the things you forget to notice, the floor you know by foot's touch, the alarm you can turn off without waking up, quieting the emergency without having to think. It's what rests outside of you in the gaze of the microscope, away from what you make of your own self-awareness, and it's the mistake you can't stop making. Oh, thank you. I, I like how you, I like your poems, of course, but I love also the way you read your poems. So much intimacy in your voice and the subject matter. Do you think you could share another? Mm, yeah, thank you. <clears throat> Yeah, ask the poet if they can read another poem. <laughs> I can. <laughs> this one um, was written for a specific anthology that's in the works about, um, called I Was Indian Before Being Indian Was Cool. And it's called Objects May Be Closer Than They Appear. Grandma sold Avon, delivered orders on bingo night to the last residents of Hawkerville there on the more or less unused tracks. When it meant cheese loaves, not with the swagger you see these days, but the source of protein, along with peanut butter, the texture of spackle. First words we could read were wash can. Sitting at Vicky's Cafe might mean mail delivery to your table, provided you sat towards the window. When it meant owning a dance outfit worth more on the open market than your car, might be different if everyone on the turnpike stopped and sang when some part fell off the old Dodge, tired, rebent hanger wire finally giving way, giving way. When it meant more cousins than you could track, mom and dad not able to sit together in some restaurants because she was some pretty white city lady and he was the most beautiful man ever and I knew it was so that they wouldn't draw every eye and distract the universe. It was gift clothing from the oh-so-generous matron out of the bigger city, belonged to her granddaughter, were pretty okay good enough, but too fancy to play in, when Ronnie would bring his second-best coveralls for me so I could play anyway. When every man in town was my hero and every woman a magician because I didn't understand anything of what they gave up every day, served us little bits of themselves, bean soup, popcorn, we played in mine tailings, swam in poison, and sometimes I still feel like that bit of hanger wire binding the side mirror on at an odd angle. Objects may be closer than they appear. Thank you. You just heard Kim Shuck reading from her own poetry. 
Those were beautiful. Thank you very much, Nina. Oh, thank you so much. We also have in the studio the publisher of Oakland Out Loud Literary Anthology, and that's Reginald Lockett. Welcome, Reggie. Yeah, thank you. I take the liberty of calling you Reggie because that's how I've heard your name all the time. Yeah, I'll take it any way I can get it. Okay. So tell me about being the publisher and also being a poet in this book. Well, I can only say this about, I just happened to start a small press back in 1978. I have all these ISBN numbers that I don't want to go to waste and a logo. So what I do, I have a cooperative that if the work is good and quality work, I let people use it. I allow people to use it as a way of getting work out there, and sometimes I let individual poets use it if their work is good. So they can apply for contests and what have you, and they don't have a vanity book. Oh, so you're a community service in the poet community. Well, sort of like that. And how did you get involved in the book, and what was your role in it? Well, the thing is, I've I've done uh, Words Upon the Water before. They needed, you know, the very things like an ISBN number, a logo, and Library of Congress stuff. I have that available. So this is how I help out. And so uh, instead of uh, having to go uh, for Penn Oakland or any of the editors to have to go through um, unnecessary steps to put the book out or get the book produced, this is my contribution. I see. And how did you get involved in poetry yourself? How did you begin writing? Oh, well, the thing is, that goes back, ooh, ninth grade. <laughs> oh, wow. Well, the thing is, you know, uh, I think I told a reporter, I just came back from uh, southern Illinois, St. Louis area, uh, promoting my new book, Random History Lessons. And I told... Is that a book of poems? Right here, sitting right in front of me. Oh, beautiful. It's brand, it's brand new. Anyway, um, I told her that I was a poster, type, a poster child for the uh, State Juvenile Detention Center. And probably later on, um, the penal system, which I just heard about over the air here, they have 33 prisons in California. And I would probably have been sitting there right there if it wasn't for poetry. And so poetry changed the direction of my life. It gave me focus and purpose. And you've been writing ever since. Well, it led to an education that led to an MFA in creative writing from San Francisco State. It led to a teaching, a career in education. I mean, the thing is, I've been teaching 33 years. I've been at San Jose City College for 17 of those years, tenured. So, I mean, you know, um, poetry can lead to many things. Well, let me tell listeners a little bit about your uh, publication background. Uh, Reginald Lockett's the author of The Party, Party Crashers of Paradise and Where the Birds Sing Bass which won Penn Oakland's Josephine Miles Literary Award in 1996, and Good Times and No Bread. His poetry, articles, and reviews have been published in over 50 anthologies, periodicals, and textbooks. And as he just mentioned, Mad Dog Publishing Company has just published Random History Lessons, his fourth book of poetry this past January. He's performed his work in Illinois, St. Louis, Arizona, Nevada, Paris, and throughout California. He's taught composition, reading, literature, and creative writing at San Francisco State University, City College of San Francisco, Laney College, College of Marin, as well as other institutions. 
He is a Cave Canaan Fellow and presently teaches at San Jose City College and performs with the Word Wind Chorus and lives in Oakland. So that's quite an impressive background. You are a poster child. Well, Cave Canaan is the name of the place you just mentioned. Uh, people should know it is uh, a, a retreat workshop, a workshop retreat organized by Toy Derricott and Cornelius Eady for African-American poets in 1996. They've been in business 11 years, you know, and it's up to a lot of people. So, you know, uh, you, you hear these workshops all over the country now, you know, and that was my first time ever attending a workshop in all of my years of writing, and it was a tremendous experience. And did you come out of it with the beginnings of a manuscript? Well, I think the beginnings of this manuscript. Oh, marvelous. I mean, we had to write a poem a day. You know, you couldn't take anything in there that you had done. You had to write a poem a day. So the thing is, I think I went through some type of trauma where I began to remember everything about childhood and growing up and living in the South and what have you. And, you know, trauma, I don't know what you call it. I call it literary trauma because I started writing shorter pieces. I couldn't get away with doing sweeping pieces like I usually do and taking my time doing it. (laughs) You know, but I had to, I mean, you come away with seven poems. That's important. Seven poems. I mean, that's great, you know. And did they have like line limit or page limit? No, each nothing, day? nothing like that. You just had to have your poem ready, and you couldn't say anything. Other, you read your poem. Other people read your poem. Then they talked about you, mm. <laughs> and you had to just be ready for the criticism. Some of it was harsh, and uh, what have you. I understand some people used to be in tears, but I, that never happened to me. Would you encourage other writers to go to those kinds of workshops? I would encourage them to do that. You need uh, baptism by fire, or water, or Ooh. whatever they toss at you, snow. Uh-huh. I don't know about mud, though. I mean, that's out, that's, uh, that's out, you know, with the jury or somebody. But you need that kind of baptism because I think, you know, people learn from other people. And I think sometimes we as writers and poets, we work in too much solitude sometimes. And do not communicate with each other. You know, it's not about competition. It's about co- uh, collaboration. But I think collaboration is good, you know, in talking to another poet, bouncing off of each other, not so much competing. So that's why the the retreat environment breaks down that isolation for the writer. I think so. So now, of course, I'm dying to hear you read a poem. <laughs> well, this is a poem. I had a workshop with Michael S. Harper. He's the famous poet that teaches at Brown University. You know, the big book is the uh, the Michael Tree, poems from the Michael Tree. And Michael's hard. He's hard, but he's director of the grad program at uh, Creative Writing at uh, Brown University. And I was afraid of that man because I heard him make you cry. (laughs) But I wrote this poem in this class for for his particular session. And it was called The Dumb Class. They didn't use nice terms like learning disabled to describe us, the student in Miss Cornish's basement classroom at Longfellow Elementary, next to the storage room where the janitors kept big push brooms, mops, buckets, and huge barrels of industrial cleansers, soap, and wax. We were just dumb, retarded, or slow, embarrassments to brothers, sisters, and cousins, who disowned us the second their feet entered the schoolyard gate. I was the youngest at eight and the only one in the right grade. The others were older, like Carlene, fresh from Arkansas, who was 12 in the third grade, dipped snuff and chewed tobacco. 
Diotis, who was 14 in the 5th, and kept being held back because he spent most of the year locked up at Juvenile Hall, and Billy Boo, who was 16 in the 6th, and wore a wavy process, teased into a big pompadour, and had a ditty about walk. That year, while Miss Cornish read Better Homes and Gardens and let the class run wild, I taught myself to write in longhand and how to do third, fourth, and fifth grade arithmetic after the new colored school nurse discovered I needed glasses, a pair of glasses. Oh, thank you. You just heard Reginald Lockett reading his own poetry. Do you think you could share another? Yeah. I notice you're not wearing glasses now. Well, I put my shades on. Oh, oh. But I can't see in the dark. <laughs> I want to, since we're on the subject of education, that's something very close to my heart. I wrote this for a now-deceased uh, mentor at San Jose City College. Her name was Ann Heffley. And I wrote this for a retirement, but it's called A Teacher's Manifesto. To teach is to teach the first sound that became the first word, that became the first language, that traveled through the mouth to name the skies, clouds, sun, moon, and stars, and escaped through the lips to create myths and tell stories of the waters and the growth of forests, mountains, deserts, and valleys here. To teach is to teach the language that became the drawings and caves, the inscriptions and papyrus, parchment and scrolls, and the writings and scriptures and books that recorded the histories and epics of peoples, races, and tribes that wandered the continents, sailed the oceans, cleared the land, and knocked down mountains to become villages, towns, cities, and nations that farmed, hunted, mined, and fished, and became mechanized to raise armies and build navies that left plants trampled, animals slaughtered, and men, women, and children terrified in their wake in search of a hamburger, some fries, and a milkshake. To teach is to warn us of our dreadful and countless wrongs to teach is to save lives beautiful beautiful thank you well thank you do you have another uh, if you'd like another i'd love another I'd like another let's see i may have something here i have a great love for um community a great love for community i was looking for a record i'm from west oakland <laughs> i'm quite proud to be from west oakland and the thing is much of this book that I've done involves um, Northeast Texas. It involves also West Oakland. That's where I'm from. Um, inspired by David Henderson's Harlem Anthro- Anthropology, it is dedicated to a friend of mine's name, Archie Belvert, who is the epitome of West Oakland for me. But he says the poem should be named Archaeology, not Archaeology for Archie. But anyway, when all is said and done, and historians, archaeologists, and anthropologists dig up and study and write about the artifacts you leave behind, it would be understood that you love to dress up in your finest, smell good, and eat good barbecue, fried fish and chicken, and collard greens. There would be stories and photo memories of how you strutted peacock proud, basking in the light of the moment up and down 7th Street, or boogied out on the dance floor to the blues, swing, and R&B at Sweets Ballroom or the Continental Club. Some will declare you sweet and easy in the hush, quiet, and stillness of Sundays, awed by the flora that sprouted from the hats and the fauna that snuggled around broad and narrow shoulders of church sisters, familiar hymns, scripture, and sermons that drew you to the fold and worship. Others will condemn you as mean, evil, and dangerous, mothers, fathers, brothers, sisters, cousins, and friends, 
who only needed black, brown, and tan fists, switchblades, and straight razors to uphold the honor of you and yours. Defiance, fury, and rage, your trademark that travels with you from Texas, Louisiana, Arkansas, and Oklahoma. Yes, when all is said and done, your beauty, pride, and resilience will still be there to see. Thank you. I'm expecting our friend Kim to call. Yes. And uh, she's here. And um, I'm going to talk to her for a moment. And I hope that uh, there'll still be time for both of you, Kim Shuck and Reginald Lockett, to give me one more short poem sure. in closing. We would just love that. Uh, hello, Kim. Oh, hi. <laughs> hi there. I'm, I'm amazed at the poetry. Isn't it marvelous? I, it's marvelous. The main thing, I just wanted to let people know that they can hear Kim and, and Reggie at the Oakland Out Loud Literary Series beginning April 26th at 6 p.m. at the Oakland Public Library. 125 14th Street. It's very important. These people are really supporting arts and the literature and Oakland. Now, the writers that will be there will be Sharon Dubiago, myself, Jerry Nicosia, John Curl, Lucha Corby, Reggie, Kirk Lumpkin, Andrew Hayes, and the public wanting to celebrate with us the completion and and just being out there with this Oakland Out Loud literary series and the book that we're so proud of. Well, you should be proud of it, Kim. Uh, let me tell the listeners a little bit about the marvelous person that you are. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> Kim McMillan has worked in the Bay Area arts community for over 19 years as a playwright, actor, producer, fundraiser, and publicist. In early 2000, she produced her one-woman show, Confessions of a Thespian, when spirit and theater collide at the Julia Morgan Theater in Berkeley. In 1986 and 87, she produced, wrote, and directed the avant-garde play Voyages, a multimedia excursion into reincarnation at the Nova Theater in San Francisco and UC Berkeley's Zellerbach Playhouse. Ms. McMillan, known as Kim, is currently working on her children's book, My Family is Love. And some listeners may even recall hearing two of Kim McMillan's radio original dramas here on KPFA some years back. Aww. So, Nina, uh, to me, you're like family. <laughs> it just being on this show is a real privilege and an honor. I consider you a part of this wonderful Oakland Bay Area literature community, literary community that's just so tremendous. Well, thank you, Kim, and uh, thank you for calling. I want to make a moment here for our two poets to give us a farewell Definitely. poem, and I wonder, was there anything that you wanted to read? Well, I would love to read just a, a short poem um, that I did that was actually a part of my play. Oh, I'd love to hear it. Okay. So would everyone else. And it's also in the um, anthology. It goes, For a moment in time, I met with all my separate selves, each identifying a role that I had agreed to play. I awake refreshed from a night on Neptune, bringing back recollections and feelings that vaguely dance in my head, looking for a home where there is none. I'm a space traveler, destined to circle the universe in search of dreams that are now only distant memories. A mantra is growing in my head. I wonder if I'm being told a truth that isn't quite clear. I sit down, meditating on my world. Images arise. I dream of a universe. There sat Earth in some alien's belly. A tiny piece of dust. 
The alien looked down, amused by the rumblings of man, discontented man, looking for glory beyond his soul, beyond his universe, and when finding none, telling tales that enabled him to appear as a giant, not knowing that he is greater than any giant that ever lived. And that's called Separate Cells. Kim, that's so much like the uh, that KPFA play you did. <laughs> that was a while ago. Yes, but but the the same themes resonate throughout your work. Well, thank you so much thank for you. sharing that and helping to produce this book and all the other wonderful things you do for the arts in the Bay Area. Well, I'm looking forward to hearing their poems. Yes, here they come. Okay. So, um, Kim, have you found something? Yes. It has to be short. It's short. Oh, wonderful. This is stubborn, too. It's the way water will hold itself to the tip of a great blade of grass. Sunlight will pull at it, raise it, make of it bands of mist, a humid streak over the park. From there, you can see the bay, what's left of the work they used to make it do. But here, it tries to hold fast with every free electron to these blades of grass, resists, explodes as much of the wrenching light as it can, diverts it into component colors, and look, it still hangs there, hours after dawn in its own ripened (coughs) globes. Thank you. You just heard Kim Shuck reading her original poetry, and now you'll hear Reginald Lockett. I shall read a tonka. Year a monkey born, from limbs of mischief I swing. Day and night I wait, throw coconuts at lion. Tell him, elephant did it. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) Well, thank you. You just heard... Reggie Lockett, and you can hear both Reginald Lockett and Kim Shuck at Book Passages in San Francisco on Friday, May 4th, and you can also hear them again at the book party. So thank you so much for listening. This has been Nina Serrano for Open Book, Cover to Cover. Have a very wonderful afternoon and a wonderful weekend, and thanks to Erica Bridgman.
The La Pena Community Chorus will appear at 7 p.m. on Sunday, April 22nd at the Larkspur Cafe Theater, 500 Magnolia Avenue, Larkspur. They will perform many new Afro-Peruvian and Andean songs and present stunning images from their Peru concert tour. This is a benefit for Marin Interfaith Task Force on the Americas. Tickets are $25, doors open at 5.30, dinner is available before the show at an extra charge. There's no reserve seating. For more details, call 415-924-3227. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA in Berkeley, 89.3 KPFB in Berkeley, 88.1 KFCF in Fresno, and online at kpfa.org. The time is just about 3.30. Up next is Free Speech Radio News. Lord, the king will 